Lampshade Media presents the Quick Dick Liquid Podcast with Pat Buren. Deering, welcome to Lampshade Media Presents, the Quick Dick Liquid Podcast. The what? The Quick Dick Liquid Podcast. How how did that happen? I can show you, actually. I just need to lean over. Uh, listeners can't see this. And uh, yeah, this straw was on the table. These were from that night, actually, in February when you performed. And, right. Uh, yeah, Johnny just couldn't keep his eyes off of it, and he was talking about how yeah, the you know the the straw, the dick straw gets the liquid to you quicker than the vagina straw. So yeah, that was the genesis, man. It's really it's really awesome how art works. You know how the weirdest ideas can just turn into something so beautiful. You know, I mean they they do say that art reflects life. Um, so I I do wager that if Johnny Collins was able to come up with quick dick liquid, uh, that quickly I can make some assumptions about him. <laughs> Johnny come early over here. <laughs> oh man, he's not even here to defend himself. <laughs> uh so you're uh you're sounding a little down on the name and I've already been uh in talks for uh, for some merchandising and stuff. <laughs> you QDL, quick dick oh, liquid. Jesus. <laughs> it's the name is pretty new to me still, so I haven't like yeah, I haven't shortened it yet cuz I just like saying mm-hmm. it out loud so much. I mean, I guess it would look okay on a hat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it it's there's hats, but uh, we're mainly working on a uh, a line of uh, of lube. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah, Lampshade Media presents branded lube. <laughs> I mean, after that show that we were all on, that uh, that fits right in. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, we do that every show, and sometimes, and I talked to Johnny about this too. Is like sometimes people are like, huh. <laughs> why are the, this is a comedy show why are we getting lubricant but i don't know like the garden's a sponsor so you know i think it fits perfectly oh yeah absolutely <laughs> and fantastic that you have somebody like that as the sponsor yeah i mean just a, a phenomenal phenomenal business phenomenal people we're so lucky to have them in the city oh hell yeah hell yeah i've been doing the the sex one four podcast with them mm-hmm. and it's been really cool to get to know them and they're like, I don't know. Everybody has this image of a, of a sex store, like that it's like greasy and grimy and like, you know what I mean? Weird. And they're all like, actually like, you know, they just know so much about the, the, the product and they want people to like experience their sexuality. I, I fucking love the garden, man. Right. They are really good people and they're helping so many different uh, people that you, like you might not expect like, uh, you know, cancer patients, going in there to, to get wigs and shit and, uh, uh, like, uh, false breasts and things like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And they do that all the time. Yep. No, we're, we're very lucky to have a, uh, an independent sex store like that in the city. Um, so, you know, they're doing more than just like peddling porn, like the lion's den does, um, yeah. at whatever margin they can get for it. And then the garden has just been such a wonderful participant in community action lately. Absolutely. So yeah, 
with the yeah with the being the the hub down there for the for the protests and everything and you know and that's actually like something that's that i definitely like wanted to talk to you about too is your involvement with that because you from what i understand literally just came from the protest tonight yep and you're going back to it after this interview i am yes so yeah you've been down there a lot you've been taking taking film and observing legally yeah so some nights i'm there as a legal observer um, you know, I've got the, the neon green hat um, out there watching the interactions between protesters and police officers, uh, you know, observing evidence that might lend itself to a charge against the police for violating a constitutional right of a protester. And there's been a lot of that going oh, on. Oh, yeah. Uh, Columbus police um, are kind of uniquely brutal in their treatment of protesters. Uh, so we've, we've seen a whole ton of it. Um, but we're very lucky that uh, we've got two law schools in the city that have just been churning out new legal observers um, so that we can make sure there's people at these events every single night. Um, and then, you know, some nights I am uh, able to even take the hat off and just be a regular protester because there's enough legal observers now that there's coverage. Wow. I was going to say, like, how do, how do you have a notepad big enough to keep track of all these... Uh of all these events <laughs> happening. Cause it seems like everywhere you look when you're down there, like that shit's going off. Like people are getting mazed for no reason. Like right. blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I just, I bought a, a big old Costco, uh, deck of just like the small little, like, uh, up flip notebooks. Um, and I've, I've been through like six of them already. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's uh, there's, there's plenty to see. Are you getting <laughs> like the, the, like the victims names and like everything like that? Yeah, so we, we attempt to get victims' names in the event that that person brings something like a 1983 claim against the city or that particular police officer in the future. Um, but we also want to make sure we're getting names and contact information for people who are being actively arrested um, because the, uh, the Columbus Police Department and the, uh, the county jail are really, really shitty about giving you information about people who, are, who have been arrested so trying to bail people out can be a problem if we don't have the name, birth date, things like that of yeah. the person who's being arrested as soon as they're arrested. Um, when you go down to try and post bail for somebody, unless you have a whole bunch of specific information about that person, um, they'll play dumb. They will throw up every barricade that they possibly can um, procedurally or just being you know crappy people uh, to make wow. sure that that person stays in lockup as long as possible. That's crazy. Yeah. So this was the first Saturday of the protests. Lacey put out a post on Facebook and uh, said that they needed plywood. And she was mm -hmm. like, didn't know what to do, you know. And so I went, I'm like, I got you. I went to Lowe's, threw some plywood in the pickup and went over there. I was seeing crazy shit, man. Like people like my buddy Zeppelin came by and he like was shot in the 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 leg with a wooden bullet and was bleeding profusely. Yep. One of the, one of the really, uh, kind of like unnerving things was that, I don't know, these, these guys came in from out of town. They drove like two or three hours to get to Columbus to protest and, you know, they weren't prepared. So they stopped by the garden and we gave them a bag of, you know, saline solution and goggles and earplugs and all this shit. Right. And then they head off, you know, to, to protest and like, you know, around nine o'clock or so one of them comes walking back and he's like dude i don't know what to do my friend was arrested yeah and i'm like he, he i'm like i don't know i don't know what to tell you like that 
what do you do? Like, he had no idea what to do. He's not even from Columbus. And it was like just some, you know, and it's not like they were just there. Right. And if and if you ask the police officers, where are you taking them? You know, how how can I bail my my friend out? You know, where where do I where do I go to resolve this? They won't tell you. Um, the Columbus Division of Police does everything they can not to give the citizenry information. Um, you know, you can find dozens of videos out there of uh, officers even just ignoring citizens when they ask for something as simple as the officer's name or badge number. Yeah. CDP prefers to operate under as much anonymity as they can because they know that they're frequently out there doing really heinous shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes it easier to do that when you're anonymous. Were they indeed uh, taping their their uh, cameras? No. So um, the tape that people were seeing on their body armor was actually um, a rank insignia for the, the commanders that were behind the bike officers. Okay. Um, so they can easily identify, um, you know, who's who in, in you know whatever chaotic situations going on. The the and I know a lot of people were were really up in arms about you know taping over cameras um, or taping over badge numbers, things like that. Um, the truth of the matter is actually even more heinous, um, and that is they didn't tape over their body cams because they just simply weren't wearing body cams. Wow. And they didn't tape over their badge numbers uh, because they just simply were not wearing badges. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> is that even legal? No, not technically. Um, but, you know, good luck holding the police accountable for it. The, uh, the tactical uh, body armor that the, uh, the bike officers and the riot guards use um, either have um, a paper badge that's generic on it that doesn't actually include the number um, or it doesn't display a badge at all because the badge is covered uh, by the armor. Um, and then as far as the camera goes, CDP has been playing dumb and saying there's nowhere for them to clip a camera onto that armor, which is, of course, them just bold-faced admitting that they're very stupid people because with a budget of almost $300 million, you can figure out how to stick a goddamn body camera to whatever armor you're wearing. Yeah, I could think of, like, probably 10 ways. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if it comes down to just, like, using a freaking hot glue gun, like, just do yeah, it. Seriously. And, and, if, and if the police can't figure it out, if they're so dumb that they can't figure out how to put a body cam on, maybe they should just, you know, hop on the driverless buggy over to Smart Columbus. They can form a committee for them. $30 million <laughs> later, they'll figure out how to use an alligator clip to put their fucking body cams on. Do you think that, that there's a possibility that this might be an issue of motivation? Well, absolutely. They just don't want to wear body cams. Yeah, they're just yeah. Play, they're just playing stupid. This is this is crazy. Yeah, I I don't I don't understand it, man. It's it's so wild because I guess in the thing in when I go to work and I'm and I'm working with people like that aren't in you know the city scene kind of thing because mm -hmm. I'm a carpenter. I go out and I do carpentry type stuff and I'm you know working with all kinds of different people and people have this image of the cops is the white hats these are the people that just want to protect and serve and they you know they're they're doing all the all the good things in the world and they're protecting us and keeping us safe and there's that image right but i don't know we're i think people are learning a lot more about what is going on in the police right now aren't they i i think they are um you know just the uh one just how widespread these protests are you know it's not just in heavy heavily populated urban areas. You know, we're seeing these protests in places like Chillicothe and Zanesville, um, even my hometown of Chagrin Falls, Ohio, which is a 
shithole of a conservative backwards ass nonsense town, there were marches. Um, and so people are, are seeing that when um, people come out and protest to speak their mind, even though they're not damaging property, even though they're not violent, the police will use any excuse they can to arrest them or hurt them. Um, even if it's something as simple as, well, they jaywalked or, you know, they were, they were in the road 30 seconds too long after I told them to get out of the road. They will yeah. apply pain to people at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's no longer just happening in the cities. People are seeing it in their neighborhoods and they're, it's finally clicking with them why so many Americans don't trust the police. Yeah. Is it fair to compare the uh, protests against uh, social distancing uh, regulations uh, with the current protests for Black Lives Matter about George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so on? You know, it, it's it's interesting because um, I, I think there's a sense uh, amongst a lot of people on the right that there's hi- hypocrisy going on here because people are mad about the reopen protests um, but then now they're out in the streets protesting about the mor- murder of George Floyd. Um, but the the root of the anger about the protests for reopen wasn't the fact that people were protesting in the first place. It was that people perceived the reason for the protest as incredibly petty and self-centered. I, well, I, I th- more specifically what I'm referring to by comparing them is the reaction by the police to the protesters. Oh, the police reaction. Um I mean, yeah, it, it is uh, absolutely fair uh, to look at that and ask why the police feel the need to inflict pain on unarmed, nonviolent protesters, uh, but will flat out ignore um, these armed protests uh, for reopen uh, causes, um, despite them also violating city ordinances. I mean, yeah. we we had we had videos of you know people with these firearms on. Uh, state house grounds or in the state house. Yeah. You're not allowed to have a firearm in the state house for very good reasons. Police didn't enforce that ordinance. But then you'll turn around, you'll look at these George Floyd protests, and the police will categorize a sign or an empty water bottle as a weapon and enforce every ordinance they can find. Yeah. Um, so it, it shows a, a great deal of bias on, on the part of the police. Because, I mean, the, the difference is just so fucking dramatic. It's ridiculous. It's Yeah, it is. And on and a side note, it, it, it always has uh, been a little bit humorous to me that the police are always being very careful when they're speaking uh, publicly to say that the water bottles that were thrown at them were frozen. Right. Have you noticed that? Yeah. It is hot as fuck. And these protesters have been out here for hours. Where are they keeping frozen water bottles? I don't know. It, in, in the Antifa <laughs> freezer truck, I guess. Yeah, the same one that drops off the bricks. Right. Um, actually, hilariously about the bricks, because uh, there were you know, there were a lot more posts about that in other cities, but there were a couple in, in Columbus um, where people would take a, a photo of a, a pile of bricks and be like, you know, Antifa is leaving these here so that people destroy things, or uh, the police are putting these here to goad people into destroying things. Yeah. You know, there were a couple locations uh, that were they were identified as having these piles of bricks. Legal organiz- legal observers followed up on those in Columbus. Um, every single one of those places where these piles of bricks were being seen uh, were construction sites. <laughs> so, like, yeah, of course there were fucking pallets of bricks. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah 
And, and there's, you know, any given time in Columbus, there's about 7,000 condo buildings being built. Yeah. And you're sh- you're shocked that there's construction materials near yeah. them? Like on 4th Street or something? The Oh, my God. People, people's inability to see the obvious and assume the obvious is, is so lacking in this day and age, and I have no idea why. Oh, man. You know, and we talked about this a little bit before uh, when I, I did some interviews uh, in a previous uh, release, uh, right right when the uh, when, when the first weekend, it was the Sunday after the protest started. Yep. And, and it kind of, like, it always... And, and I think you've done this a couple of times where I, like, want to refer to you as, a, as an expert lawyer. I have to keep telling you, I'm still a student. I'm not a. I'm not a lawyer yet. <laughs> Is that like a legal thing? Is you, you uh, yes, you can't practice law until you're <laughs> until you've passed the bar and are licensed by the state. So anytime anyone refers to me as a lawyer, I have to be like, "Good God, stop it! <laughs> you're going to get me busted, man." Yeah, this is. <laughs> yeah, you're a lawyer, right? No, no, right? <laughs> no, that's the first class. <laughs> The first class, they're like, you're not a lawyer yet. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I sit for the bar next summer. Um, so, you know, hopefully next October when those results come out, you'll be able to say, Pat Deering's a lawyer. Yeah. The fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> is this like the Sims decorating your house music? <laughs> this is... This is my phone. I guess I I guess I'm just gonna answer it. <laughs> uh hello. Hey Lampshade. Am, 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 am I on the air with Lampshade? Yeah, yeah. You were on uh, Lampshade Media Presents the uh, Quick Dick Liquid podcast. Ugh. Wow. That's like holy shit. Like I'm I'm wow. I'm a bit starstruck. Like it's good to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh that was that was impressive that you could even say all that, dude. <laughs> wow, I I I I I I, I I'm, I'm real nervous here, and I thank you for taking my call. It's <laughs> so exciting. I like this. Well, like what's your name? Uh, we don't we don't have a ton of fans. It's uh it's always exciting to get a caller. Oh man, uh, unfortunately, that's a little bit of what I'm calling to ask uh, your guest about. You have Mr. Pat Deering there, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I am here. Pat, nice to nice to meet you too. Uh, this is really exciting. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, what I'm calling to ask you is what my name actually is. Uh, there's a story. There's a story. I got it. I'll start at the beginning. You see, my parents a long time ago, uh, when I was born, did not know how to read or write, and so they had the nurse write down my name on the birth certificate. And my father named me Albert. And so I I lived my whole life. I lived my entire life as Albert until I was about seven, eight years old. When we finally looked at the birth certificate, that's when I learned how to read. I looked at my birth certificate and I saw that it said Robert. Oh, apparently, apparently the nurse had misheard my father or my father had mispronounced it. I don't know. I wasn't really, I was there. I didn't, I don't remember what happened. But they put Robert on my birth certificate, and I lived as Albert until I was eight years old, and now I don't know who I am anymore. Yeah, I, I wager that that is a pretty distressing situation to to grow up in Albert and then find out one day you were actually Roberted. I've been Roberted the whole time. I didn't even know it at the time. It was it was it was really 
it was really because uh, you live your whole life thinking you're an Albert. You know, you do Alberty things, and you're just you're you're, you're Albert. There's a, there's a way of being Alberty. And now, now I'm now I, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know who to be. I don't know who I'm legally am. Am, am I Albert? Am I Robert? When I sign a paper, do I sign it as Robert? Do I sign it as Albert? Well, I mean, in Ohio, legally, you're you're Robert. Um, Ohio birth certificates are uh, basically etched in stone. They're basically like Flintstones. Fucking. Uh... This one was on paper. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, but they're they're tough. They're tough to change. They're tough to deal with. Um, uh, but the the great thing is is that uh, you know you, you can you can change just about any other legal document in your life. Uh, and if they already all say Albert, you know you can you can live as an Albert. There's nothing wrong with that. Changing other things. This is very interesting. I never thought about that. On my on my on my on my on my on my on my, on my, on my, my driver's license, it says Robert. I could get that to change to to, to, to get that to say Albert too. Oh yeah, absolutely, dude! Thank you for telling me that, man. This is <laughs> awesome. This is really good to know. I'm going to be Albert now. I get to. I get to. I've been Albert the whole time. What is it? Yeah. What exactly uh, is living like a Robert? How is that differently specifically? I'm curious. Uh, Roberts drink a lot more beer, as it turns out. It's a very domestic beer, Robert. You know, Robert is a. Robert is a guy. He's uh, he's got like a, a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a beer gut because he drinks a lot of beer, and he's a Robert. But Albert doesn't Albert, drink beer. Albert, on the other hand, no, he he prefers ale, pilsners. He's a uh, he's a uh, he's very uh, very strict <laughs> about his drinks. Albert is a different fella, guys. Is it's it, not even really the same. Is it just the A thing? <laughs> Well, part of the problem is that I already had an older brother named Robert at the time. So now there's just <laughs> two of us running around. That does, yeah, that would make things complicated. So yeah. do, do you feel that Pat Deering has solved all of your problems in life right now? or I didn't know that I could legally change my name on documents that weren't my birth certificate. I thought that was the whole thing of changing your name is that you had to go under the birth certificate and change your name there. I didn't realize that I could change it on everything else. Yeah, that's way easier. It's it, it probably is much not easier. way easier. It actually sounds really, really hard, <laughs> but it also is possible in the way that the other thing is. Right? Is this how is this going to affect your your personal life? Then are you going to feel more confident and uh, secure in in the knowledge of your of your ability to change your name? Well, no, I don't think so. I think I'm just going to be the same guy that I always was. Right? I'm still me. I'm still Albert. I've always been Albert. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. If anybody wants to say, you're not Al, I'm going to have a driver's license. I'm going to have documents. I'm going to have uh, uh, two pieces of mail sent to my address and say that my name is Albert. And I'll be able to prove it to anybody who asks. Yeah. I hope somebody asks. I hope so, too. Like, for you, so that you can, like, have that moment of growth and and, and whatnot. But well, this was awesome. Thank you very much, Pat Daring. I really appreciate all that. Thank you, Lampshade Media, for taking my call. I was uh, this, this, this a really, uh, really good, really good time for me. I really enjoyed this a lot. Well, I always love hearing from our listeners, so I appreciate you, Albert. Aw, you call me by my name. That means a lot to me. That's what I do. All right, man. Well, we'll we'll talk to you later. I appreciate the call. Thanks, everybody. Bye. 
Man, our uh, our colors are kind of weird. Yeah, that that was something. I don't know what we were talking about that uh, that sparked that inquiry, but uh, <laughs> uh well, you know, it might have been the uh, the the not a lawyer yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, so we were gonna have this interview, and you called me up and was like, "Hey, Nate's got COVID," and I'm like, "Oh shit." Mm-hmm. Is he doing all right? Yeah, he's good. Any is that like any updates on that? Is showing symptoms? What? Nope, he's totally fine. Um, it's just you know he works in healthcare, so it's uh right, it, right. It's a huge like. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right, and I guess in healthcare they expect it. I mean, to an extent, um, and and he's out in the Bay Area, which uh, you know California has finally been trending down, even though everywhere else in the country except New York is trending up. Um, and things are slowly starting to get back to normal in California. You know, it's still not all that unexpected. I mean, it, I mean, it was huge in California, though, right? Initially, California was one of the first states to get hit real, real hard. Um, them in New York. Um, and it's probably because they were hit so hard in the initial phase. Um, and that is that why California and New York are the two states that are still, you know, really sticking to preventative measures and are the two states that are, like, definitely on the decrease because they they've seen you know how horrific this thing can get whereas like ohio and wisconsin and stuff really haven't so we're that's why we're kind of being loosey-goosey with reopening well so is he he's got to stay off work for two weeks is that the deal from what i know yes um i I know they have like protocols in place because he's a pediatrician um where if um resources got stretched too thin they might bring him back, but he would just be treating patients who already have COVID, so there wouldn't be a risk of him, you know, giving it to, to a patient. Um, but I think that's, you know, just if it's truly an emergency and they're truly stretched for uh, for resources. Okay. Yeah, I don't know, man. There, every there's, I mean, people still think this thing is a is is a, a fucking uh, hoax or something. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> which is. <laughs> I mean, like maybe, maybe I could have bought it if somebody lived in, you know, total East Jesus nowhere, in the dead center of the country. Um, everything's locked down, so things aren't really spreading. You know, the, it, you know, maybe I could have bought that assumption. But now, Florida just today, nine thousand new cases in twenty-four hours. Like how? Yeah, we're how in the world numbers. could we still believe this is a hoax at this point in time? Yeah, a hundred thousand people are dead. Yeah, I guess the the more reasonable of the uh, COVID skeptics are saying that it's just not as bad as it's made out to be, and I, I would say like maybe there's some credence to the fact that they were throwing out worst case scenarios in the beginning, and it wasn't worst case scenario, right? It, well, it, it's the best. Yeah, I mean, well, they they were throwing out worst case scenario because we all had to know what the stakes were if we didn't follow the rules, right? And so is what we did is followed the rules. And made it so it wasn't worst case scenario, and, and a like, lot of see? dumb people are like, "Well, see, nothing of you know, the yeah. world didn't end like they said it would." And didn't Acton say something to that effect uh, that that this would, if we're successful in in the social distancing, that people will say it wasn't a big deal? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, the really sad part of this is is that um, we never even got truly to that point because we've reopened before we were even technically through the first wave right? and everything's just spiking back up again. So now we're at the phase where um, people aren't 
uh, saying that it's a hoax because the numbers weren't there and we did a good job. Now they're saying it's a hoax either because one, they're incredibly stupid or two, they just absolutely refuse yeah. to accept the reality that's playing out around them. Well, man, and I've been, it's so interesting that I've been talking to my mom about COVID stuff and my mom's like, you know, a hardcore fundamentalist Christian conservative like I used to be. Mm-hmm. And she actually is is 100% on board that COVID's real and she's taking precautions. And I think the reason is my my theory and my hypothesis is that it's because my niece, her granddaughter, Evangeline, is, has a lot of uh, health issues and is uh, at risk. And yeah. she has, uh, you know, stakes. You know, she's got skin in the game. Right. So all of a sudden she's like paying a little bit more attention to the scientists and not as much attention to Fox News and... And her and she's actually pissed at, at her conservative friends. She's like, why can't they see? Why don't they understand? And I'm like, oh, mom. Right. Welcome I mean, to my world. <laughs> that is, um, you know, that is the M.O. of, um, I guess, kind of the conservative mindset or, or, you know, the act of being a Republican in the United States is that um, for the most part, your, your worldview is dictated by your immediate circle. And so if you don't have anybody in your immediate circle that is impacted right. by, you know, the social justice issues or COVID or, you know, gay marriage or like name anything that conservatives yeah. have been against in the last 30 years, unless someone in your immediate circle is impacted by mm-hmm. it, you don't care. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's an, inver- it's, I don't want to call it selfish, but it's a very immediate community focused political ideology. Yeah. I mean, we are tribal, you know. Uh, animals. Right. Um, you know, con- conversely, you know, one of the things that is kind of the hallmark of a very left people in the United States is the notion that you have to be capable of seeing something through the eyes of someone you don't know, you've never met, um, and just, you know, taking their word at it at face value. Um, which, you know, I, I could see why conservatives would be critical of that because they, they feel so strongly about personal experience um, they feel so strongly about, um, you know, the notion of of common sense, and I put common sense in air quotes, yeah, um, because it's not necessarily traditional common sense. It's it's again the notion that uh, if I haven't seen it, how can I really truly analyze it or um, react to it? Um, since so much of the conservative ideology in the United States is actually experience based versus right. um, data driven or policy driven or anything like that. It's all yeah. about personal experiences. Yeah, and I mean it's it's also like like it is it's a lot about a feeling, right? Which I, I feel as a former Christian, I I based a lot of my uh, ideas about the world on the feelings I had and those feelings were based on the tingles I got in my in my belly when I prayed or something. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And like this is all subconscious and I wasn't really like testing my subconscious for bullshit. You know what I mean? I was just saying, yeah. God, speak to me. And then, you know, my subconscious would, would provide some idea. And I would say, God spoke to me. Kind of terrifying. That- right, yeah, to, yeah, <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> I mean, but I, I also, you know, I know very religious people on the left as well that have similar, you know, similar experiences. Um, it, it just comes from a, it comes from a totally different place. Um, right. it, it comes less from the, that personal experience versus um a call to serve 
people who you don't know and people who have experiences that you haven't had. Well, something that people on the left do that people on the right don't do is encourage diversity in general. So, you know, people on the left are like constantly trying to diversify their 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 friend groups and their their you know, their the 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 things they listen to, the entertainment they enjoy. Like, you know, there's a there's a big call for that it seems like on the left and not as much on the right. Yeah. Um that, I mean that makes sense, right? I yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. Um and there's a there's a concept out there in social research uh, called the uh, the monkey sphere, and it references back to the ability of humans um, to have larger uh, social contacts than our, our nearest, closer biological ancestors, chimpanzees. Um, but basically, is what it says is that uh, human beings are truly only capable of really rationalizing the concept of another person, um, you know, being a thinking, feeling, breathing member of society. In, in a limited number, we 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 aren't able to rationalize all seven billion people on this planet as fellow human beings, um, which is why it's so easy for humans to ignore, you know, horrific things happening if it's happening in a different country or to someone that doesn't look like you, because we're kind yeah. of biologically hardwired to be truly protective of people we've met, people we identify with, people in our our social circle, and I think that one of the core concepts in modern social justice is forcing yourself to expand that capability and to, to always, always, always be thinking of other human beings as if they are, you know, you. Right. I mean, that's kind of rambling and I might not have explained that in the best way. Um, (laughs) This actually reminds me of, uh, this this concept that I've heard about on a couple different podcasts, probably uh, uh, I listen to uh, uh, the Hidden Brain a lot. Yeah, and I think uh, I think they spoke about this once, where if you you're say you're a charity that's uh, trying to get people to give money to them for you know to provide maybe wells for people in Africa or some such thing, right? Mm-hmm. If they say there are. 10,000 people dying every day in this country in Africa, people will tune out immediately. Right. But if they show a single child with a distended stomach and, you know what I mean, like some like flies buzzing around or something exactly. with, a, with a sad look on his face, people are just dumping money on him. Yeah. Because now the one person is, now that's a human right there. Right, absolutely. Yeah, it's exactly that. The brain is a is a fucked up thing, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, that so... shouldn't be. That's not how that should be. You know, right? You should be able to sit there and say, 10,000 human beings. That's horrific." Mm-hmm. Um, without you know an, an individual example, and, and honestly, you should probably look at the ten thousand as a little bit more urgent than a single individual example. But yeah, you're you're hardwired. To care more about something that you can identify and have an emotional connection to. Yeah, I mean, I guess it all comes back to evolution at some point, and it's not a thing that's designed for perfection. It's just a thing that fucking worked. It happened. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I, all the uh, all the goofy shit going on right now. <laughs> speaking of, of 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 weird decisions people are making, I, I'm actually beginning to think that there's a chance that uh, that that our city, in, in the name of uh, 
in the name of uh, di- uh, of diversity and uh, and ending uh, uh, ending colonial oppression is going to name our city Flavor Town. <laughs> oh God! I, I'm a little bit afraid that that we preempted that that we reminded Lampshade Media reminded uh, uh, everybody of uh, that by talking about Guy Fieri last uh, in, <laughs> in the last live episode. But I don't know how true that is. Maybe I'm just taking credit. Uh, who knows? I, I posted a joke status um, a couple weeks ago that was basically like, you know, I think the most Columbus thing in the world is to be a truly good human being, um, but a very bad cook. Um, so that is why I support naming the city Flavortown after Columbus's <laughs> native son, Guy Fieri, who is a wonderful human being that makes very disconcerting food. <laughs> and, and, and immediately people con- start commenting in the you know, the comments thread on the Facebook post, just like, well, where's this petition? Like, how do I sign it? Like, let's do this. Um, and I was like, you know, oh my God, there is no bomb. Like, no, this, this is, that's the joke. There is no petition. And two weeks later, now there's a fucking petition and it has like 5,000 signatures. So, I, cool. I thought it had even more than that. <laughs> oh God, I don't want to hear it if it does. <laughs> I swear to God, I thought I heard I'm like sh- some yeah. 26,000 or something, oh my but God. that's just off the top of the, the dome. I might be wrong. Uh, no, I mean, it, it probably does. Cause like I I follow uh, Alex Green and he was saying that that it could we could accidentally name our city this because as a joke people would sign the petition because it's funny right not thinking that it would ever come to be and then it comes right. to be and then they'll actually get it on the ballot and everybody's like <laughs> oh that's hilarious I'm gonna vote for that right and not thinking that it would ever happen right is that, uh, as a as a not lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> As a not lawyer, what do you think that is there some sort of check in place that will stop that shit? Well, from what I know, the the petition that's circulating right now is is online, right? I guess. Yeah, so that's it's not a ballot petition then. It's it's just a petition. Oh, this is um, just like like we all agree, listen to us. Um yeah, it's sort of just, it's okay. yeah, like like a moveon.org or like a change.org petition. Um, the only way to get something on the ballot is with physical signatures on paper. Okay. Um, so if you haven't signed anything in paper, then like it's yeah, it's just a bunch of people saying we should do this. Um, but you know, if if twenty six thousand or whatever people have signed the online ballot, you could probably get the fifteen thousand or whatever you need on the paper one. So it's not that far afield. I just I, I do hope though that uh people recognize that while it is important to probably consider changing the name of the city. Um, we probably should name it after, um, you know, the peoples we displaced when we built this city, um, not, you know, donkey sauce guy. Yeah. I mean, Franklinton sounded like a, that's not uh, a Native American name, I don't think. But No, it's a name after the guy that founded the original settlement. Exactly. So yeah. I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's better than Columbus, but Scioto mm-hmm. is a, is a, Good one. Somebody mentioned. One. I've, yeah, like, I've obviously seen, after the river. Yeah, I've seen a uh, Scioto City, um, and Scioto is um, it is a native word uh, right. that, that means deer, um, and we certainly have plenty of those. Yeah, so uh, it would be fitting. Um, you know, even if we don't pick something like that, um, you know, I, I think whatever we do rename the city should be influenced by uh, you know opinions of indigenous peoples, um, and if you know if they come back and tell us like. Uh, actually giving it an Indian name is, is also super weird since, you know, you kicked us out of the area. Yeah. Um, but if they come back and say, you know, rename it from Columbus, just, you know, pick something that's uh, a little less glorifying of a serial rapist and enslaver. Yeah. 
you know, we could find something right. pretty easily. We could do better. Yeah. We can do better. I've uh, I've liked Confluence, Ohio. I've liked Central City, Ohio. Capital City, eh. But, you know, there's plenty yeah. of options. Yeah, sure. Well, speaking speaking of Guy Fieri, do you remember the uh, Ryan Francis asked you guys oh my a, God. A, a question at the uh, at the live show? Yeah, would we uh, would we rather have sex with Guy Fieri or uh, Kellyanne Conway? <laughs> <laughs> I it seems it, it seems like uh, like everybody pretty uniformly went uh, went Guy Fieri. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, oh, Kellyanne Conway. Ugh. Like just the name sends shivers down my spine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She, yeah, she's despicable. Uh, she's terrifying. I mean, I, I I assume that sleeping with Kellyanne Conway would be a lot like, like actually trying to fuck a scarecrow. Um, <laughs> like I I assume. That's- that's incredible. I, I assume that she is is burlap and that she is full of dried grasses and dirt. <laughs> it's not sexy. No. And no, and, I, and when I say scarecrow, I don't mean like the Batman villain or like the, the singy talky dancey one from from the Wizard, Wizard of Oz. Of Oz yeah. I mean like literally a flannel shirt and burlap and a pair of jeans that a farmer has stuffed corn husks into. Yeah. And it just it just lies there and chafes you. Yeah. And if like she sits still long enough, a crow lands on her shoulder. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't even be good at being a scarecrow. She yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Well and- <laughs> Well, because that question was so fantastic, we're about to give uh, Ryan Francis a call because he's got another question for you. Oh boy. Are you, this is this is gonna be great, man. You're gonna love it. Hello. Hey, Ryan. This is uh, Mel with Lampshade Media presents the Quick Dick Liquid Podcast. I swear to, I'm gonna if if I have to hear that name again, I'm going to. Ugh. Are you? Why are you hating on my name, man? You got something it's, better? It's horror. I mean. Ugh. Ryan, what do you think of the name? Listen, I, I thought I, I think it's brilliant. To be honest with you, see, he's on he's on Team Lampshade, so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to like come up with something strong. I mean, quick dick liquid. It, it I can't think of anything besides somebody that needs pills to keep <laughs> themselves from ruining things thirty seconds in. <laughs> like that's that's all that this sounds like to me. Okay, so a little preemie. Just a bunch of comics getting together and admitting that they are so pathetic that it's, it's yeah, minute and a half, that's it. <laughs> At least they got it done. <laughs> yeah, the opposite problem is also awkward. You're right. <laughs> Problems suck. So, Ryan, you asked a fantastic question at our live show and uh we actually we were just talking about it <laughs> that was like five years ago yes this was february 
It was a long time ago. You're right. <laughs> oh my god! It like actually was this year. I literally, I actually did think it was last year, but it was. It actually happened this it's year. It's been that a long. My mind. It's been a long spring. <laughs> yes, yes, it has. Our never-ending Kafka-esque nightmare of a spring. <laughs> for real. So you got a question for Pat? Pat Deering. Ryan Francis. Ah, <laughs> Man, uh, first off, I do have a question, but I actually just wanted to thank you for being such a megaphone and being eyes and ears on the front line downtown Columbus right now um, helped me a lot. I know that it's kind of helping a lot of people staying in the know with a lot of stuff. So, man, hats off to you for real. Super awesome. So definitely appreciate it. And I see you and that's awesome. So thank you. Th- thank you. That that means a lot to me, Ryan. Um, I, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, dude. For sure. Um, and my question, it's not wild or wacky or anything, but I'm genuinely curious where you see yourself going, progressing over the next six to 12 months. What's, what's, what's Pat's plan? What's Pat's plan moving forward with everything? That's happening right now. Oh, all right. Um, yeah. So I mean, twelve twelve months is a it's a it's a solid question because I do have about twelve months left of law school. Um, so I, I do have you know another year of classes. You know, still doing my day job to pay for said classes and all that. Uh, taking the bar next summer. Um, you know, right after the end of those twelve months, yeah, things are, are probably going to change. Um, you know, things aren't really set in stone, but recently I ran for uh, for central committee of uh, the Democratic Party of uh, Franklin County. Um, I, I, I won. I am now the uh, the representative for the um, Ward 55, the Franklin County Democratic Party Central Committee. Um, and I, I think I am going to try to expand on that and run for public office uh, in the near future. Uh, don't know specifically which office yet. Uh, depends on, you know who's retiring, who's leaving, who's going on to bigger and better things, exactly what's going on. Um, and of course, districts are going to change um, with the uh, the census and uh, 2020 redistricting. So, you know, who knows if I'll still be living in the same district I've been living in uh, for the last few years. But, um, you know, running for office is definitely in the future, assuming that Andy Ginther doesn't have me killed because <laughs> I, I keep calling him a sweaty ham on Facebook. Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, you know, I, I've, I think 10 years ago, if you'd asked me if, if uh, public office was something I wanted to do, I'd have told you like, yeah, no, I'd consider it. Um, I like politics, but I don't know if I want to be the person running, but the last like four years of living in Columbus and seeing all the different things that have happened in state politics and city politics, um, getting involved with organizations like Rep Your Block, getting deeper involved with the Democratic Party, Stonewall Democrats of Central Ohio, um, uh, Stand Up for Choice. I, I think I've, I've realized that, uh, you know, after I'm through law school and, and kind of get my, uh, my insurance career wrapped up, running for office is going to be the next thing. That's what's up, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Or more people like you in, uh, positions like this are what uh what we clearly need and uh yeah man i i think there was a live stream 
oh man, it was the other night. Uh, it was when it was it was it was brought it was it was I think broad in front in front of City Hall, right yep. by the. <laughs> oh my god! And there was just I I don't know I haven't gone back to find a screen grab of it, but there was just this so someone else's stream, and there was just this perfect side view of you, and you were very angry. Your face you were you were in the middle of yelling something, and. It was just the most beautiful Pat Deering portrait I have ever seen in my life. It was fantastic, and i i uh, i want to I need to take the time to go back and find it because I want to screenshot it. I want to blow it up, and I just want it everywhere. <laughs> I want it everywhere. Well, if you find it, definitely, definitely send me a copy. I'm, I'm willing to bet it was a Samantha Sizemore's uh, live stream. Um, <laughs> yes, it yeah, was. Because she, yes, it was. Uh, she, uh, she, that that was a night I because I I typically am down at the protest legal observing. Um, but I've seen CDP do such horrible things to the citizens of this city while I've been doing that, that uh, every once in a while I got to take the green hat off and go just as a protester. And that was one of those nights. And uh, yeah, I was I was riled up Tuesday evening. So I'm sure there were uh, some choice statements made to some police officers who don't even live in Columbus. They're from like fucking Pataskala or something. <laughs> right. The, the, the officers from the Burbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's telling that uh, CDP doesn't really hire from Columbus residents um, because Columbus residents don't want to be part of that horrific machine that brutalizes their neighbors. Man, why? I I can't thank you enough. And I'm sure that there are hundreds out there who are also kind of watching. You know, I've been able to make it downtown a couple of different times, um, but you've really been uh, from a social media perspective, you've been eyes and ears out there and sincerely appreciate it. And it's uh, uh, congrats on the big win recently and hope to see everything kind of come to fruition in the next few years when, and we'll see what kind of happens when, when things happen. Oh, yeah. Hopefully they go the way that they need to. Hopefully. Thanks, Ryan. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for that question, dude. That's uh, that's great. Yeah, actually, uh, you, you reminded me of some things I wanted to bring up that I almost forgot about. <laughs> <laughs> So Ryan, before we uh, before we hang up and stuff, uh, Ryan won this ticket through a giveaway from my buddy Tony Casa with Free Sandwich Productions. So I definitely wanted to give a shout out to Free Sandwich Productions. Go look them up on the Facebooks and shit, and check into that. Tony Casa is a fucking he's a he's a wonderful wonderful human. Um, but Ryan, you're also producing shows and stuff. What what's your shows like? Ah, uh, I I I tend to do one one show a year and it's, it's huge isn't huge, it huge holiday it's show. huge <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh it's uh, a little little show a bunch of different uh musical artists kind of keep it uh it's not genre specific or anything but something right before the holiday season uh going into christmas and stuff where we just want people to kick back and raise some money for the faith mission of Columbus, do some good, have some, beers, well, what's it called? Watch some comedy, the huge, huge holiday show. Yeah. And it's a blast. I was, I was on it this, uh, this past yeah. year, um, got to meet Lori Beth Denberg. Um, so <laughs> thank you for introducing me to my, my childhood idol. Um, that was phenomenal. Hell yeah. Um, though if you had told me 20 years ago that when I met, met Lori Beth Denberg, it would have been immediately after I got off stage <laughs> after telling my March of Dimes joke. 
And instead of me shaking her hand and just saying, hi, I'm a big fan, I'd shake her hand. And before I could say anything, she would say, dude, that was dark. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's what happened. Oh, that is so funny. That is so great. That's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you had that experience. I, I'm, we're, 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 I'm not sure where we're going to take it this year. Um, I have, I have the headliner booked, um, and they're willing to still do it, but I'm not sure if it's the right thing to do. (laughs) So I'm sitting on it right now. Uh, I'm waiting. I'm probably going to wait another month or so before I make a decision because, um, I don't know. I, I think that there's an opportunity for a, an empty stage is for someone to put uh, food on the table if they're a touring musician. And while charity events right now are, are extremely important, I also think that there's a lot of touring artists who want to <laughs> start touring again. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see where things go. Yeah, definitely. We'll see where things go. Well, I mean, the Huge Huge show has been such an integral part of um, – you know, comedy in this city for as long as I've been here. So, you know, whatever you do, I, I hope it continues. And I know that you'll make the right decision. Thanks, man. Well, uh, hopefully it happens this year. And uh, yeah, the, the whole, the comedy and, and music thing. I know that uh, free music, uh, free sandwich productions, they're also, they also do uh, an, uh, an extraordinary show that uh, kind of brings together comedy and, uh, yeah. And, local music and that happens in, in january yeah, so columbus covers columbus of, yeah it's columbus is such a really great place for the arts definitely so it's it's good but hey uh thanks for having me on i, I appreciate the answer to the question and i'll i'll be continuing to follow pat deering uh for eternity so you've got <laughs> the, you've got my vote nice. and uh uh yeah i'll uh I'll definitely be there for support, no matter what. I'd definitely pull the lever for old Pat. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That uh, you know, that really does mean a lot. I, I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, Ryan Francis, thank you so much. Everybody, go check out the huge, the huge, huge holiday show, and uh, go check out Columbus covers Columbus too. While you're at it, from Free Sandwich cool. Productions. So anyway, hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Take it easy. Have a good All night. right, you too, man. Later. Oh, that was that was so sweet. I mean, I was expecting another like, would you rather get a blowjob from X horrifying celebrity or X horrifying <laughs> celebrity? So that was yeah. He took it in a whole different direction, <laughs> and I'm actually I'm actually super glad because somehow how the fuck I don't know because I guess it's I'm an idiot, but somehow I forgot to write down in my notes to ask you about winning that seat in uh, in, in Ward Fifty Five. Yeah, Ward 55 uh, of the Central Committee. I'm talking to a real-ass fucking politician right now. (laughs) Well, I mean, Central Committee, um, you know, a lot of people don't know what Central Committee is. um, But uh, Central Committee is a, uh, it's not a public office, it's a private office within the party. And the Central Committee kind of sets the agenda, um, elects the officers of, and uh, kind of... um, promulgates the policy of the county party uh, every four years. So your central committee representatives are elected during the primary election of the presidential election. They serve for four years. Uh, We each represent a neighborhood uh, within the county. Um, Columbus has, you know, dozens and dozens of wards. 
other townships, you know, might have one. Bexley's only got a handful, you know, things yeah. like that. Um, but really is what we do is we represent our neighbors to the party. Um, so we, we don't have a lot of impact on direct policy. Um, okay. So, you know, like if, if you've got an issue with, uh, you know, a construction permit or, or roads um, or a city ordinance, um, there's not much I can do with that. Um, but if you have a complaint about the Democratic Party um, in Franklin County, um, you know, if you have concerns about how we are um, endorsing candidates or how we're fundraising or, uh, you know, what issues our candidates are prioritizing, that I can help with. So, you know, if uh, anybody out there in Ward 55 wants um, the chair of the Democratic of the Franklin County Democratic Party, uh, Mike Sexton, to hear from them, you know, I'm the best conduit for that. Wow. Okay. And then you're talking, and so like in answer to, to Ryan's question, you're talking about taking that and kind of rolling rolling down the, the line and getting into uh, higher level politics in, in the future then. Yeah, I would. Once I would you're love. not a not a not a not lawyer. Or yeah, once I'm a, the uh, opposite. <laughs> not a not lawyer. You mean when I'm a lawyer? Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> when I um, when you no longer have to say I'm not a lawyer yet. Right after I, I graduate law school, um, you know, I, I'd like to practice for a little bit, and then I, I would I would love to run for you know Ohio House or Ohio Senate uh, yeah. for for here in Central Ohio, and then you know who knows what's after that. Oh, maybe you could help me get divorced finally. Um, once I'm an attorney, yes. Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, um, and it's it's actually uh, you know once you've got the judgment and the paperwork, uh, it's pretty easy. <laughs> so yeah, we just been kind of like not in a big rush. Just <laughs> it's not like we're thinking about getting back together or whatever. It's just like I don't know. I'm not getting married again. Right, right. We've already separated our money and shit. But I was just like when you, you we were in a group chat. And uh, that came out that I was still married somehow. And, and Pat was, Pat says in his group chat, and I'm talking to the listeners now. <laughs> he says, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's not, there's common law marriage, but there's not common law divorce. And I was like, yeah, you know, I probably should get this taken care yeah. of. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's all sorts of paths to becoming legally married. There's only one way to undo it. And that's... <laughs> That's that's divorce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can also get like an annulment, something like that. Um, but you know, you got to go through the court. You can't just <laughs> you can't just hope it goes away. Well, <laughs> it's not a rash. I've it's been, a marriage. I've been separated so long now, and I remember like when I first when we first separated, I was thinking about having this huge party when I get when the divorce finalized. You know, and now it's been so long that I think it's awkward. <laughs> I, I I basically lost out. I timed out my divorce party. Good God. <laughs> is, is that ridiculous? I don't know. <laughs> what kind of what kind of law are you going to be practicing in in the interim, like when you start out? Um, so, you know, I, I'm going to owe my employer um, a bit of time because they've been really cool about paying for a lot of law school. Oh, okay. Um, that makes sense. Which, you know, is, is fine. Uh, you know, I, I love what I do. I work in uh, compliance, uh, largely in the consumer protection uh, side of things for a major insurance company. Um, so I enjoy what I do. Wouldn't mind doing that for a little bit. Um, but you know, when I really get out into practicing law on my own, um, I, I, I really do want to work on what we call 1983 claims. Um, and 1983 claims come from this section of us code, uh, 42 USC, 1983. It's, uh, a line of law from the old 
anti-Klu Klux Klan acts that Congress passed towards the end of the 1800s. Um, and what it allows you to do is for an individual citizen to bring a claim for damages against a state actor for the violation of a federal civil right in federal court. Um, and so police brutality cases are very frequently 1983 claims. Okay. Um, and so basically is what the law says is that if somebody under color of law violates one of your constitutional rights, you can claim civil damages against that person. Um, and the reason that Congress created this law is because uh, they were seeing, particularly in the South, uh, in post-Reconstruction America, that the Klan um, was permeated through local offices. And the United States has this really shithead, stupid, ridiculous fucking moron thing where we elect our judges. Um, so judges in uh, local counties and states are effectively political positions, which is not great for the whole separation of powers thing and the mm -hmm. whole, you know, judicial independence because um, they all got to be, you know, tough on crime, yada, yada. But that's a totally different conversation. Yeah. Anyways, um, they were finding that a lot of these judges, sheriffs, you know, what have you, were members of the Klan. And so if a state actor, a police officer, school board member, um, mayor, what have you, was violating someone's federal rights, if you were bringing suit against that entity in a, in a state court, you weren't getting a fair trial because the state's officials were protecting their own. So Congress passes this law that allows you to just you know, get right the fuck out of state court, go to federal court where judges are appointees and have less political influence on them, typically aren't Klan members. Because they're not getting voted in? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and once you're in, you, you're in for life. So public opinion be damned, right. you're going to follow the law. Right. So this is like the Supreme Court. Uh, well, any federal court. Yeah. All federal courts are, are appointees. Same way. Okay. Yep. Yeah. The president appoints all federal judges. Um, that's your district courts, your circuit court of appeals, and the Supreme Court. Gotcha. Um, and so, you know, th this law lets you, for example, if a police officer violates your uh, your Fourth Amendment rights, your um, your right to be secure in your person against unwarranted search and seizure, uh, you can bring a charge against them in federal court, um, and that that prevents you know a judge who has to work with the police all the time in a state court. Um, from you know being the person that gets your case and potentially being overly biased on the side of the police. Mm. Um, so I really want to do that stuff. The problem with 1983 claims at this point in time is we've got this qualified immunity thing out there. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that because it seems directly related. Yeah, so qualified immunity is specific to 1983 claims. Basically says that um, police officers uh, in the course of their duties uh, can't really be sued uh, for violating one of your federal rights if there isn't already federal precedence specific to the exact situation um, in of that police officer violating your rights. Yeah. So it makes it really, really difficult to sue like, the police. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Yeah, well, yeah, that that's, that's that part of do, it. Yeah, whatever. That's part of it because qualified immunity came out. But we're talking about people that can't even figure out how to attach a camera to, to their... their body armor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, when qualified immunity kind of first got handed down by the Supreme Court, it made a little bit of sense because the Supreme Court's initial intent 
was um, to shield police officers from having a Supreme Court case that was decided very recently, um, and especially complicated Supreme Court cases, from being held against them like immediately. Okay. Um, which which does make a little bit of sense. Um, you know, you, you you don't expect your your basic police officer to be an expert in constitutional law. Right. But over the over time, and especially once Antonin fucking Scalia uh, got onto the bench, qualified immunity ceased to be a common sense protection and became a shield against everything that anybody ever brought against the police. Um, right. And so, so now it is time for, for something to replace qualified immunity. And, you know, already we have one state, Colorado, who has struck down qualified immunity as a defense in civil 1983 claims. Yeah. But yeah. I've had this thought about this specific issue and um, I don't know. I kind of, I just kind of want you to like educate me maybe because I have this feeling that holding individual police officers liable for their actions seems pretty common sense, right? But on the other hand, I think it's important also to remember that the state is the villain in this situation. These people are members of our society that that are trying to, you know, in the best case scenario, trying to do the right thing, and they are entered into a system that is fucked and that is designed to make them fucked. Yeah. Right? Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Um, and, and in 1983 claims, you know, you very frequently see um, somebody suing the police, but they're also suing the city. You know, they're they're naming, you know, officer so and so in their personal capacity and the city of Columbus, or they're they're naming officer so and so in their personal capacity, Andy Ginther in his personal and professional capacity, and the city of Columbus. So yeah. Um, because you know, the the city and the state, you know, the the political apparatus, is also part of that. Yeah. Um. You know, the thing is, is that with nineteen eighty three claims, you know, one of the the hallmarks of them though is that it's typically, you know, somebody who has been grievously injured. Okay. And yes, yes, while the state is is definitely the apparatus that empowers the police to be brutal, and it also creates them to be brutal, like it. It, you know what I mean? Oh, the like, training, yeah. It gives them the authority, but it also encourages them. It doesn't just, em- I, I, I guess, empower and encourage are the same fucking thing, really. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it grants them the authority to do so, and then because the state never holds them responsible for anything, it, it yeah, it, it tacitly allows, and through tacit allowance... I would say that it actually, like, it's more than tacit. Like, they're giving the education, they're the ones that are training these officers... They're implementing the the culture with which you know they allow, right? Well, so the the thing is, is that when you go back and you if you look at the training manuals and you you look at the training programs, um, you know you, it's hard to find objectionable material on its face in the training programs. Um, oh, that's okay. because you know largely the cities or they the states lawyers. lawyers write the training pro materials. So you know it's it's not that police officers are being trained to be violent. Um, it's that one, um, there's no there's no training around how to not be violent, um, and then if you are violent, nothing happens to you. Right. Um, so yeah. So the training is, I I, um, I see where you're going. I disagree that the training is creating the violence, but the training also doesn't provide officers any tools to 
to not be violent. Is that the responsibility of the state, though? Like, wouldn't it be? Oh, it's absolutely the responsibility of the city, yes. I feel like the responsibility for this needs to fall more so on the state than on the individual officers. In most cases, like, it seems like there's specific cases where it's like, Jesus Christ, this guy is a psychopath or whatever. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like yeah. curb stomping these, these fucking handcuffed uh, people. Like, yeah. this shit that the happens Ro- in Officer fucking Columbus. Rosen. Yeah, exactly. Officer Rosen, who... Uh, who killed Henry Green yeah. um, and then stomped on a handcuffed man's head, right. was fired, and then was reinstated. Yeah, yeah, this shit is fucking atrocious. Yep. Um, so I, I agree that, yeah, the city plays a part in it. Um, but also we do have to have this expectation of our fellow human beings, police officer or no, yeah. you know, to, to understand that just inflicting grievous bodily injuries on people... Um, is, is just unacceptable. Is this? Is there an argument that this could be a banality of evil kind of situation where they're just taking orders? They're just like, I, I know, I, I, I don't think so because the command structures have gotten so good at not giving orders to be violent. They they give vague Winks orders, yeah, and like shoulder um, nudges or something, right? And they just and because police aren't given stricter guidelines to operate in. They just they kind of go buck wild, yeah. um, but the you know the thing is um, you know, and I'm glad you brought it up because uh, there's there's the move to uh, defund, abolish, rebuild police yeah. in, into something different, and one thing that does come up a lot is eliminating city liability and putting the liability on the individual officer, um, and that's usually pushed in a sense of cities have to pay all this goddamn money um, because of the horrible things their police do. Yeah. Um, that if we made it the personal liability of the officer, cities could be using that money to do better things. Yeah. Which is true. However, um, I think there's a nuance of law they're missing there. And that is that Section 1983 claims are claims that allow you uh, to do what we call fee shifting. Um, typically, say you uh, you get hurt, uh, you sue someone with your personal injury attorney. Um, your attorney's working on commission. You get your settlement. Your attorney gets 33.3% of that. That's how they make their living. Yeah. 1983 claims are fee shifted, um, which means that you sue the police officer for injuring you. He pays you your settlement. He also has to pay the attorney the attorney's fee. The attorney's fee doesn't come out of your settlement. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's a handful of claims that allow you to do that. Um, employment claims, um, some work comp claims, yeah, the victim claims. doesn't deserve to pay for that. Right. Um, and also it's to encourage um, you know, poor people to bring these, these, uh. these cases. We, we, want, we want people who are in lower socioeconomic classes to have access um, to the legal system. And yeah. one of the ways to do that is to make sure that when they bring these, these claims – they're not the ones that have to pay for for the legal part. Of yeah, um, right. So so it allows you to recover for your client their settlement and also re- you know, recover your fee. Right. If the onus is entirely on the individual officer to pay that, um, you know, nineteen eighty three claims settlements usually aren't that big. It's usually just like medical fees for the victim. So the settlement that the or the award that's given to the victim might be. Twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand, thirty thousand dollars, something like that. But that attorney has put in, you know, probably close to like two hundred hours of work on the case, 
and has $100 per hour or billable hours. So the attorney could be owed hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, wow. Um, which is, you know, part of the punitive aspect of 1983 claims. Okay. Um, you know, we, we do want that because it, it, it punishes the police yeah. um, or the bad actor by instilling this very high um, fee on them. But if uh, we only have police officers be the people that have to pay that, you know, for all the things that they are, uh, cops aren't rich. Right. So if... Um, they're paid pretty well, though. I mean, they're paid decently, but not enough to as pay... As far as the blue collar goes. Yeah. You know, yeah, as, as far as, you know, compared to, to firefighters, compared to public nurses, yeah, police do fine. But they don't have that sort of money. And so being a fee-shifted um, claim, the concern would be that if you put the financial obligation entirely on the officer attorneys who are really good at 1983 claims um, and who rely on 1983 claims to keep the lights on are going to stop taking them because they know they can't recover enough to pay their fees from just the officer, which is why you still got to keep the city on the hook or you put another deep pocket in there with the officer and require officers to start carrying individual liability insurance. Yeah. So if you don't do one of those two things, the onus shouldn't be entirely on the officer. If you put the 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 responsibility for this should be on the government. We should expect our government to provide us with uh, the the proper training for the tasks we're asking for. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a part of the defund the police situation is that the police are being asked to do jobs they're not trained to do. Right. Um, I, I would say that the uh, the ask isn't to train the police officers to do those jobs. It's to just accept that police that training or no should not do it. Exactly. Right. We we should you know these these are things that we should be tackling yeah. in schools through through um, healthcare through yeah. social work. Absolutely. Yeah. I just saw this meme recently where uh, it's pictures of a bear roaming through some uh, town. And the person posted it originally was saying, oh, and you want to defund the police. And, you know, the answer was that, like, you haven't heard of, like, animal control. Like, this is the job. There's people that are trained to handle this situation. It's not the fucking police. Right. Which, I mean, that's a great example of the fact that, like, there's so many situations, so many situations the police are being asked to to interact with that are fucking not their job dealing with the homeless you know this is like all they can do they they are a hammer and everything's a nail yeah um and yeah so so part of abolishing policing the way it looks right now is you know finding other ways to address those those problems um because there's you know if uh if if a uh, if a restaurant or a business is having trouble with a homeless person you know who who is causing a scene because of a mental health issue yeah. or because of not having eaten in X number of days or, you know, whatever it is that's going on, mm-hmm. you don't need a heavily armed, trained-to-hurt people right. person to show up to deal with that situation. Um, you know, you need somebody from the social working sphere or the public service sphere who, you know, not only has training to deal with that person, but is also part of the larger apparatuses that are there to protect yeah. that person. Because even if you train the police um, to be better dealing with homeless people, the police aren't part of the institutions that serve and protect and help homeless people. Um, you know, it would be much better to have somebody, um, you know, who works at a shelter 
or who has a, a, a large amount of knowledge about the s- different services available to go out there because yeah. they can get that person the help they need from A, B, C, or D agency, whereas the police, right. no matter how much you train them, do not have that knowledge. All they have is the yeah. criminal justice system. Right. And that's what, I mean, that is what they should have to an extent, right? Like, they should be doing a very limited task. And and it's not limited. But, you know, on this, on this subject, I actually uh, have a good friend of both of ours. He, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has a, a segment that is somehow related to what we're talking about. You want to hear it? Sure. All right. This is Joel Good with Food for Thoughts. I'm here to crack an egg of knowledge on the frying pan of your mind. Cook it for about a couple minutes, medium, medium well. Lay them on top of the English muffin of everything you've known before. Top it with ham or some sort of thinly sliced meat and drizzle it with a hollandaise sauce of truth, creating the biscuit benedict of revelation. Because much like Benedict Arnold, it will betray everything you thought you knew. Like when East Edge realized God was dead, or Bruce Willis when he realized he was a ghost, it will change your life forever. It's time you made a choice. Our nation is more divided than it's ever been. And when it comes down to it, you need to decide whose team you're on and try to be on the right side of history. So look deep within yourself and ask, bagels or donuts? That's right, folks. There's only room for one breakfast pastry with a hole in it. Think hard. And when you walk into work and you see that box of goodies your boss got to boost morale instead of paying you more, what is it that you want in that box? Bagels or donuts? It might surprise you to think that my personal opinion is bagels all day. While donuts have their upside, it's the bagel that's truly master of its domain. They can be sweet or savory. They come with various cream cheeses. And if you're clever enough, they could be made into a damn fine sandwich. Then, of course, there's the nutritional value. Now, I'm not a health nut, but the way a bagel makes you feel inside is more satisfying. A well-cheesed bagel can fill you up and make you feel ready for the day. Meanwhile, a donut, while enticing and delicious at first, you often need coffee or milk to wash it down and ultimately leaves you with a bellyache. The donut is a Transformers movie while the bagel is Godfather. There's less pizzazz, more substance. So when you make your decision, make the right one. Make it bagels. Plus, you know who likes donuts? That's right. Fuck 12. Give me 13 bagels. I feel educated. (laughs) Sure. I'm not gonna lie. When he first started recording that, I was like, "Is is is he making light of this 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 situation?" And <laughs> threw in that that fuck twelve, give me thirteen bagels, and I kind of laughed my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually, like in making uh, in making comedy, we haven't talked about your your comedy at all. You're now a politician. You're you're lawyering, schooling, and shit, and. Are you going to keep doing comedy as a politician? Uh, I hope to. Um, Is that a liability for for that? uh, You know, potentially. uh, But, uh, you know, we we currently have in the highest office in the country a man who 
doesn't just joke about, but like openly admits to sexually assaulting people. Yeah. That's, um, you know, mocks hate, disabled reporters. It, it's, yeah. So, you know, the, the whole notion that in order to be a successful politician, you have to be this like straight laced. Exactly. You yeah. have to be this, this like boring ass Pete Buttigieg type character. Um, so you're not going to leave us. No, I'll, I'll still be coming to Mike's. I'll still be doing my stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I think in the modern era of politics, I think it'll actually be a benefit to, nice. to my political career. So what are you, are you writing now about current events? Um, you know, I've thought about it, but not, not so much. Um, I mean, it, you've obviously been preoccupied. Yeah. I also, you know, I, I just, I, I get wary about writing material about um current events it's too topical it's too tropey it's too, yeah, it's too topical it's too tropey but also um you know the these these protests these events um you know really should be in all aspects centering black voices mm-hmm. um and you know even if i'm joking about my personal experiences at the protests you know that's that's centering the experience and the voice of you know another white dude yeah um so so you know, as much as I, I do enjoy being down there offering my support as a legal observer, um, offering my support as another protester standing with people, you know, I don't want I don't want to utilize this thing that's supposed to be centering black yeah. voices and advancing black people, um, you know, to like you don't pursue my hobby. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but I've I've been trying to put down material about, uh, you know, about running for office. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Material about, uh, you know, things things I've heard, things people have said. I'm a little bit of pandemic humor, but try not to do it too much because I know everybody is writing pandemic yeah. jokes. But... Can you imagine what the open <laughs> mic's going to be like when this opens, when everything's oh, open? It's um, when, when my open mic comes back, I'm pretty sure the first comic is going to get up there. They're going to make a joke about missing quarantine, and then I'm going to get up immediately after them and be like, you know what? Literally, I miss quarantine, and I'm going to end the mic. I'm going to shut it back down. <laughs> What's your open mic again? It's, it's uh, Slammers, Slammers on, right? on Fridays. Yep. So we don't know exactly when we're coming back. Probably September or October. Yeah. We're, we're playing it very safe. So you're just going to end it after the first. <laughs> yeah. The first. The first reference to, to quarantine is going to be like, fuck you. Yeah, so exactly. That's it. We're done. We're going back into quarantine. Yeah. Uh, it's COVID-20. Yeah. <laughs> How has comedy been in your brain? Has it even been in your brain? Like, or is have you taken a complete break from it? Because you can't perform. Open mics aren't online, aren't the same. Oh, no, so you can't oh, practice the so craft bad. right now. Have you just been step, it's like, well, step aside from that, you know? A little bit, but, uh, you know, a lot of, there's been a lot of live stream shows that have popped up. Yeah, um, and luckily yeah. they've, they've kind of had a little bit of like an improv bent. So yeah. I have been able to, you know, get back. Cause I, I started, um, comedy through improv. Right. Um, so, you know, kind of getting back to that has been fun. Um, cause it's, it's a really great opportunity to practice in individual improvisation because you're just on this live stream, you're talking to an audience, you can't hear their reactions for the most part. So you're kind of just up there on your own. Um, so it's, it's been a great tool, um, to, to experiment and try, try something new. Well, yeah, the, the whole live stream thing has been such an interesting experiment and such a, uh, it's been such an interesting way to respond to, uh, the this you know 
I mean, COVID has been this evolutionary thing for society. It's changed everything. And and all of a sudden we find ourselves like flexing muscles. We didn't really flex before, you know, yeah. I've, I've had to learn how to do live streams and work with, uh, you know, Griffin Browning, <laughs> you know, and make Frowning Browning happen. And that's been a fucking blast. And it's something I never planned on doing. I never like, I would have never known what the fuck StreamYard was. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we used StreamYard for um, a uh, Santa for Choice show. Yeah, uh, back yeah. back in May, and it went really well. Yeah, Griffin. Uh, well, yeah, Griffin and I were working together before that, and mm-hmm. like, yeah, he he and I like talked about it. Yeah, you know that's uh, that's an interesting thing, man. Because <laughs> I'm I I honestly could see myself using uh, live streams in a post COVID world. Oh yeah! Now absolutely. that I have the the talent, you know, the skill in my sleeve, right? And uh, you know, it has taught us that, you know, there there are ways to bring in out of town or very remote comics without all the travel. Yeah. Um. So you know, we we've been talking at Santa for Choice about you know hybrid shows in the future, where you know we we have a few live comics totally. and then maybe someone from Seattle or LA who, on a screen maybe in the yeah. in the in the room oh yep. damn that's Which, tight you know since we're we're not that's bringing in you know since we don't have the money to pay big names to travel to do the show but we know some big names that would do the show from the comfort of their living room for us uh, um, you know this this has proven in the concept that you know we we can do that yeah so yeah and you know what without without this that might not have been a thing that could work no no, yeah. But now people know what that looks like. Right. And it was only yeah. because of the advent of live streams that we had Naomi Ekperjan, um on the last Santa for Choice show, who, who's the biggest name we've had on Santa for Choice yet. Oh, wow. Um, you know, live in from L.A. Um, and it was it was phenomenal. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Do, all, all of the things about production of shows aside, has this affected your writing? Like, are you writing still? How how has this affected your writing? Um, I'm I'm still writing as in like picking up a pen and putting things on paper, but it's so different than the original process because I, I'm not I'm are not you getting a to try things. Writer? Yeah, because I mean most I, comics are I would say right right. Um, you know you you write things down especially so that you remember them, but you're you know you're really you're finding the hits, you're finding the laughs while you're on stage doing it. Um, right. Because you know you you real you never really know if something's going to be a winner until you do it in front of people ten fifteen twenty times. Um, so this this really has changed that. Um, and now I I feel like it's become all about volume and just trying to get as many concepts down on paper as possible so that you can fuck with them. Yep. Um, versus... Because they're not going to be real until until people laugh, right? Exactly. Um, whereas it used to be, I would try to like once a month, I'd try to come up with a new bit to do at open mics throughout that month. Now it's just write all of it down because um, there is no open mic. Who knows if it's going to work? And it's it's going to be playing catch up once we do yeah. have those things back. Have you tried the uh, the online open mics? No. Oh God. No. Uh, that would drive me up the wall. <laughs> it's it seems it it just seems uh, a bit uh, difficult. Right. Like there's no comedy needs an immediate response. So the practice is really of doing it online is really just like you might as well be doing it in a mirror. Right. Right. As far as the immediate response goes. 
Yeah, because there almost is never an immediate response. You know, I, I've done there some. There can't be unless you're reading the comments or something, and you. Right. I, I did a Zoom show with HRC um, a couple weeks ago where they they like turned they they unmuted everybody so that they could laugh, um, but then like everybody laughing at once borderline crashed the. <laughs> the zoom because it's it's suddenly just like it's all these flat faces doing nothing i'm the only person talking i'm the only sound and then out of nowhere bunch of sound bunch of movement and the the bandwidth just like you know went through the That's floor so it funny. was <laughs> so you know i started to sound like a robot and everybody else blurred out and like <laughs> started clipping through space dude the tech difficulties <laughs> in the stream world like in these past like it took me a, a, a while to, before I was, like, ready to, like, start with Griffin. Like, I went through a few different ideas that I had for what kind of live stream I could do. And I think the important thing that I wanted for the live stream situation was direct response from the the, the viewers. So they there had to be a viewer. It was almost the opposite of what you want in a comedy show. What we wanted was heckling. Okay, yeah, yeah. We wanted people to be involved in the show, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I felt like that was really important because when you're in a comedy show, you're involved by laughing and being a part of that scene. But when you're at home on your couch, you, you know, you don't get to do that, right? But right. What, what you can do is comment, right? Yeah. So I thought it was one of my big things was it was important that this be interactive. Mm-hmm with the viewers you know that was very important and like how do you do that right like it can't it can't be stand-up i didn't i don't think that you could do stand-up in the live stream world no it, it's it's incredibly tough yeah. you have to change it and you can like have stand-ups do things but they can't be they can't be doing stand-ups right straight stand-up just ain't gonna fucking do it no you, you, yeah you really can't um and it is tough but you know i i do i'm hopeful because um you know, stand-up in and of itself is an innovation, um, you know, from what performance and, and comedy was before that. Um, you know, it, it grew out of burlesque and vaudeville. Yeah, yeah, um, and, totally. And, and when the concept of an individual getting up there and just speaking to you on stage by themselves, you know, without a, without a scene, without, without other characters, um, and not acting, you know, being themselves and speaking about their experiences and their observations, people thought it was like a totally weird thing and wasn't going to take off and now it's a, a mainstay of American humor. Yeah. Um, and so it's an art that's always been innovative um, and I think it's an art that will continue to be innovative and we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, and the people who are being very doom and gloom about it um, are probably just bad stand-up comics anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's just like here. the people who are screaming and yelling about PC culture yeah. killing comedy um, when, you know, the last five years during the advent of cancel culture, we've had, you know, more money roll into stand-up comedy than ever before. Netflix, Comedy yeah. Central, HBO. I mean, yeah. people are screaming about cancel culture killing comedy and yeah. comedy's flourishing. Cancel culture is just killing bad comedy. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not worried about cancel culture. This is Lampshade Media presents the Quick Dick Liquid Podcast. Have <laughs> you got a better idea? I mean, you you could. Uh, it, it, this is still a dumb name. This is still a supremely dumb name. But it would make me less. I don't really want a dumb name. But like, is it? Are you saying it's better? I, I w it would make me less uncomfortable for you to literally call this podcast the normal, correctly functioning penis hour. 
<laughs> then the quick dick liquid pot. That's. Like, I know I'm repeating myself at this point in time, but I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be on the, on the, on the erectile dysfunction impotency podcast. You're nowhere on the spectrum, huh? I just, uh, I just, ugh. <laughs> quick, quick dick liquid says nothing besides like that weird middle schooler that came in his pants at the homecoming dance. Like that's all quick lick dickwood says to me. Uh, you've I, I I don't know I think you got me convinced man because uh, I was pretty I was pretty uh, into the name but now with all of this uh, premature ejaculation talk um I'm kind of I'm kind of getting outsville on uh, on old Johnny's name <laughs> so I am gonna comfortably begin the rebranding process we now have a new name it is Lampshade Media Presents. The normal, correctly functioning penis hour. Yeah. I'm into it, man. Um, I think that's very encouraging for me. Right. I mean, we should all be into it. We should all hope that yeah, as our a middle junk works man, the way it's supposed to. That makes me want to listen to podcasts. I think this is it, man. I, th- I think this is it. Yeah, and I you've... think we can still work with the garden on some uh, merchandising. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. <laughs> I think they'll be into it, man. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast that lasts a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, yeah. A reasonable amount <laughs> of time. <laughs> Not too much. You're never going to have to go to the hospital. <laughs> Oh man! Well, I you got to go back to the fucking protest, don't you? Yeah, things are apparently getting a little dicey. I'm getting a lot of messages from other All right. observers. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of uh, of doing shit to uh, help people and come over here and talk to me because, like, I feel like I'm robbing people of your service. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I happy to be here. Um, you know, happy to get the message out you know, through this medium as well. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you, dude. Much love. Thank you so much. And I appreciate the name, dude. Like, I feel like this is the one that's going to (laughs) stick. I hope so. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, I mean, hopefully Brooke likes it. I mean, yeah, she should. Yeah. She's bi, so she does like normally working penises. Right. As much as, you know, anything else. Right. As much as literally every human being on the planet. All right, man. Have a good, have a good night. Thank you. This program is produced by Lampshade Media, hosted by Mel Milliman, music by Tyson Shipman, graphic design by Griffin Browning, social media by Sam Welch, voiceover by Ryan Branch, and a special thank you to our sponsors: Paddy Wagon Food, Platform Brewing Company, and The Garden. <laughs>